Welcome to the Kitchen Sink Meeting of Overeaters Anonymous. Starting in July 2021, the meeting will be hybrid. You will still be able to attend the meeting via Zoom. Please go to the Los Angeles Intergroup's webpage at oalaig.org for login information. And now, our speaker. Hi, everyone. Thank you. My name is Cindy, and I am a compulsory eater, and I'm so grateful to be here today. And it's an honor to speak at this meeting or to speak at any meeting in Overeaters Anonymous. I have been in OA. Um, I came to my very first meeting when I was 12 years old, um, which just kind of tells me that I was born a compulsory eater. Um, I don't like to spend a lot of time um, thinking or talking about what it was like because I felt like we all kind of know what it was like. And, you know, it was it was a living hell for me. You know, I was born into this disease. I truly believe that because... I literally do not have a memory of anything before food took over my life, you know. And when I was a very young child, um, maybe even a baby, my mom used to tell me stories about how she would just, you know, beg me to stop eating. She would offer me money. She would do everything she could to get me to stop eating. And, and I didn't know how to stop eating. I just wanted my food. You know, from a very young age, I remember just the idea of no matter how much food there was, it was never enough. If we had three of something, I needed four. If we had four, I needed five. If we had five, I needed six, you know. And no one else around me seemed to have this abnormality of food. And I was very heavy, um, you know, as a very young child. And I, I go through my stages of life and, like, weight, you know. And I don't really know what happened a lot in my childhood because it's it's very, like, gray. Um, but I do know that when I was about 10 or 11 years old, I was 225 pounds. I was treated very, very badly in school. I was bullied. I was treated in a way that would never be allowed today. Um, and the reason that got the reason I came to my first meeting when I was 12 was actually because I was bullied so bad in school that I went into this independent program, independent study program, and there was two teachers that I met there, and they told me, you need to go to an OI meeting or we're going to send you back to public school. And at the time, as a 12-year-old, I hated them with a passion, and today I think they may have saved my life because they planted the seed. And I had never known, and who knows if I would have known that there was a place called Overeaters Anonymous. And as a 12-year-old, I had no idea what they were talking about. I was not capable of understanding at the time, but I came back when I was ready, and I never forgot that there was place for me, you know, even if I didn't necessarily feel at home that particular time, I knew that there was a place for me. And, um, you know, from a very young age, I remember my whole family, like, just trying to control my food. And I know it came from a good place. Um, my grandparents would, like, corner me and tell me how, you know, eating lots of yogurt would help cure me of this thing. Or, um, you know, I would go to their house and they would take out the treadmill. And my grandpa would drop me and my grandma off, you know, at, like, a kid's play place and make us walk home. And when I was 14 years old, my grandparents offered me $5,000 to get down to 200 pounds. And by then I was over 400. And, um, you know, that was probably my first taste of powerlessness because as a 14 year old, you know, 20, 30 years ago, that was like $100,000, you know, and I wanted that money, you guys, more than you could ever imagine. And I could not stop eating long enough to lose any substantial amount of weight. 
And that is the reason why I truly believe um, with all my heart that this program was meant for me from the moment, besides that one time when I was 12, from the moment I walked into these rooms, when it was my choice, you know, years later, I knew I was home, you know. And I walked into a meeting again when I was 23. I had just started a diet, and that diet became my first abstinence. I have never been a dieter in my entire life. I know a lot of people in these rooms, and I feel like sometimes I'm a minority when it comes to this, but a lot of people are, you know, consider themselves like professional dieters. Me, I just needed the food more than I needed my next breath, you know, and I just could not stop eating. I walked into that first meeting um, I became abstinent immediately. That diet became my first abstinence. I put the food down. I felt a taste of freedom for over a year. I dropped 130 pounds just like that. And then I proceeded to relapse for years and years and years. But to this day, I believe that that was my higher power keeping me here. Because if I would have came in this program, not felt any freedom, not had any success, I might have just like chalked it up to, oh, it's just another program that doesn't work. But I knew there was something special here that I have never experienced anywhere else. And I think that's what kept me coming back, you know, for so many years, even though I kept going back to the food, going back to the food, going back to the food. And when I said I relapsed, I relapsed with the food, but I stayed in the rooms, which is an absolute miracle, but in a sense, also one of the most painful things you can imagine, because I could no longer pretend like there wasn't a solution, you know, and there is something so painful about being in these rooms, which is probably why, honestly, a lot of people leave, because I would be shoving food in my mouth and, like, Things that people said in meetings or things in the big book be running through my mind and talk about like destroying your eating, you know, for so many years. And, but I just, I never stopped coming back. I never gave up. I knew there was something special here. I knew it 100% in every fiber of my being that if I just kept holding on, like one day I would finally get it, you know. And I truly believe that it's all those. Because um, I was always abstinent, just not consecutively, right? So, like, I would have, you know, six months, 90 days, 30 days. Like, I used to joke that I had so many chips I could play poker, you know, and I would get, like, a year candle here and there. So it's like I had a ton of abstinence, but then I just kept going back to the food, going back to the food, going back to the food eventually every time. But it's those um, periods of abstinence where I always had it in my mind that I'm going to get this thing and I'm going to get a sponsor and I'm going to work the steps and I'm going to keep on trying. And it's those moments that I think really, truly saved my life because if I would have just left and had no abstinence and just ate myself to death, that's exactly what would have happened. I would have been 600 pounds or dead, whichever came first. You know, there's no, for someone like me, there is no middle of road solution like it talks about in the big book. And I am so in love with this program, and I'm so passionate about recovery today. And this program has, like, transformed my entire life, you know. And there is nothing um, that any diet program has ever given me, any weight loss program has ever given me that could help me. Because for me, it wasn't about the food at all, you know. Food was never my problem. It was my solution to everything. And I could have used anything. I could have used drugs, sex, alcohol. But I found food at such a young age, and it worked so well for me until it didn't. 
you know, and it worked so well for me that I didn't need to get into all those other things, you know, which probably they would have killed me a lot sooner. So in a way that's a gift, but, um, this program has taught me that, you know, it has nothing to do with the food, you know, it has absolutely nothing to do with the food. Um, it's about my spiritual malady and, you know, I can't live in a world with other people. You know, I didn't get here because I have this amazing ability to play well with other people. You know, I used to kind of joke that like my sister, I have an older sister and she came out of the womb like Mary Poppins. Like she's the kind of person like she has like, this is my perception by the way, which may or may not be based on reality. Probably not. But she's that kind of person that you would take one look at. She looks like the perfect wife, the perfect mother, you know, like, she would say things like, oh, sorry about the mess when there's like, you know, one chew on, on the floor. And um, and I'm the kind of person that like literally, ha- and, and by the way, like her Mary Poppins, like in my mind, she is just so natural. Like she doesn't even have to work at it. But for me, someone like me, um, I came out of the womb, like I have to work really, really, really hard not to have child protective services called on me, you know? And I say that as a joke, but in a sense, I feel like there's some truth to that, you know? Um, Because that's just not who I am. And these 12 steps have transformed my life in a way that is so miraculous that I cannot even begin to tell you. Um, my relationships. Um, I used to be married to, um, I have a 19 year old daughter now. She's very special needs. She's special needs. And I had a really hard life with her. And these 12 steps have just transformed my way of parenting, you know? And I've, I believe my higher power has given me the most amazing sense of humor, which is needed in order for me not to, you know, like just lay in bed and never get up, you know? And, and I would be in the midst of, my daughter would be in the midst of a meltdown. I would just do something silly to make her laugh. And and um, it would change the entire outlook of our day, you know. And without this program, I would not even have the ability to do something like that or to even care enough. Um, I used to be in and out of homeless shelters. I was, I was, the thing, it talks about in the big book about how our normal life um, our life is the only normal one. And I think about that not with just the food, but with many other aspects of my life. You know, I used to live in and out of homeless shelters. I was in a horrible relationship, this horrible marriage, and it was horrible on both, both sides. We were just not a good fit. And I didn't even know it was a bad relationship until I got out of it and got into a healthy one because it was all I knew, you know. And this program has opened my eyes, you know, to to a new way of living, a new way of thinking. Um, I was in and out of homeless shelters because I was incapable as a compulsive eater in my disease. I was incapable of making a good choice, good decisions for me and my daughter. And I kept making the same bad decisions over and over and over again, which led me, led, led, led me into a position to be hurt, like it talks about in the big book. And I, I'm a huge big book person, so I reference that a lot. But the the 12 steps is outlined in that book are my, my design for living and my instructions for life. And um, like I said, food was never my problem. It was just my solution to everything, you know. Everything resulted in me eating. It didn't even matter what it was. And, you know, today I have so much in this world, so much in this life that 
you know, I should thank God every day for, which sometimes it's so easy to get caught up in, you know, what I think life should look like because I'm also an adrenaline junkie. And, you know, some people think, um, like, I was at a meeting recently where this guy was talking about how our sponsor always tells him, you've never had it so good. And I was thinking, wow, that's so true. Like, I've never had it so good. But as an addict, like, I get off on the idea of, um, like, chaoticness. It's really crazy to think about. But in a weird sense, when I was in and out of homeless shelters, in and out of hotels, and just had this out-of-control insane life, like, it was comfortable to me because it was different. You know, and today, like, I have this even kill life. Like, nothing amazing goes on most of the time, nothing horrible. It's just I live in the even kill. And um, today I have a life partner that I met in these rooms, and um, it's a woman. And we have this amazing relationship, you know, based on the cool stuff, and we get to keep each other in check, and we share this common problem, this common solution, and and it's such a beautiful thing, you know. And one time I was explaining to her how it's really hard for me to, like, you know, I I wake up every day and I, you know, go to this job and I have a nice car and, like, I know when I'm getting paid. I know I'm, you know, in, in a nice, stable home. I have stable relationships. I do the same thing every day. And she was like, well, some people would call that serenity. And it's like, oh, yeah, you know, from the life that I used to live when I was, in this awful relationship and I couldn't get out of it. I felt so addicted to this person Um, and then in and out of homeless shelters and I lost jobs over this disease. I've broken um, furniture. I've broken, uh, I broke a toilet seat off of a public bathroom and, you know, dropped down in a pile of God knows what. And talk about pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. You know, I almost drowned when I was 19 I was playing. I was playing in the um, on the sands of a beach, and and a wave knocked me down. And my top weight was four hundred seventy-nine pounds. And when you're four hundred seventy-nine pounds, you can't just like plop yourself up. You have to like kind of maneuver, and it takes time. And I kid you not, like before I was able to get like on all, all fours and pop myself up, another wave would knock me down. And I could see the terror in my mom's face, trying to pull me out and she couldn't and I kept getting pulled and pulled deeper out to sea. Next second I knew two men pulled me out and I um, opened my eyes and they were gone. And, you know, I think back to that day and I think like if I would have died that day, it would have been listed as an accidental drowning and it would have been a direct result of compulsory, you know, because of my size. And, Today, I don't have to live that way. You know, today I have freedom. I can go anywhere. I can do anything. I can smell food I don't eat. Um, I don't have to, I'm not finding it or avoiding temptation. The problem has been removed, you know. I may have, thank you. I may have a lot of problems today, but food is not one of them, you know. And these 12 steps have transformed me in a way that is just beyond what I can even comprehend. I used to have this man one time. He came up to me off the street. I used to take the bus a lot before I got my car. And he came up to me and he was like, I would hate to be your husband. You just look like you're so full of anger. This was a stranger on the street. Like, that's the aura that I put out in the universe, you know. I used to, like, 
sit there with my head held down. I didn't want to look anyone in the eye because I didn't want to see the disgust that you probably had for me. You know, I remember going to this meeting early on, um, and I hated this meeting. Um, and I just thought it was like an unfriendly meeting, and it just wasn't warm and fuzzy. And then one day I shared, and I suddenly loved the meeting. People became friendly and warm and fuzzy and inviting, and it was like maybe... I was keeping people out. I didn't know how to let you in, you know? And I've, I came from a place of like amazing financial problems and just like, I was like a compulsive shoplifter. And today I try to be as honest as I can be. And I'm the treasure for a meeting today. Like I actually have a bank account with many, many hundreds of dollars that is not mine. And I don't spend the money. Like that is like a miracle to me, you know? Today, uh, or a while, uh, a couple weeks ago, I got home and I noticed that, um, you know, I went grocery shopping and they didn't charge me for something. And it bothered me all week. I mean, I am, I come up from a place where like, it's my goal in life to get something for nothing. And here I am getting something for nothing. And it's like bothered me for days and days and days. And I finally went back and I bought that item again. And I said, you know, last time I came in here, you didn't charge me for this. Can you just charge me for two now? And they looked really confused, but they did it, you know. And that's what this program gives me, you know. And another quick story I just want to share is that, like, you know, I've been in and out of homeless shelters, like I said, and also jumping in at, like, breaking my lease, all kinds of things. A couple of years, about three years ago, maybe, my landlord sent me a letter and, you know, at the time, I really lived paycheck to paycheck, and he said, we're going to have to raise your rent. And my first thought was, like, oh, my gosh, like, this is so cool. I actually live live someplace long enough for my rent to be raised, and it's a miracle to me. It truly is, because I kid, I kid you not, like, I've never had my rent raised because I've never lived someplace long enough. And I just want to share real quick, I know I only have a few minutes left, is um, a few years ago, I was I was really heading down... Um, what I call prelapse, and I knew that I was on a bad path if I continued down this road. So I made this list, and I like to read it. Um, what this disease has taken from me, my dignity, a normal childhood and teen years, a job, my self-esteem and self-respect, security, freedom, a stable home, home life, my sanity, the ability to be a good parent, employee, partner, friend, and a productive member of society, and what this program has given me. Healthier relationships and a more loving and stable home, a good job and more financial security, more than 240 pounds off my body, which I mentioned is the very, very last thing because that is honestly the smallest that this program has ever given me. Uh, my dignity and self-respect, amazing friendships and fellowship, the feeling of being a part of, physical and mental well-being, my health and self-esteem, an overall feeling of peace and joy in my heart, laughter and a great sense of humor, the ability to truly live and enjoy life, a feeling of purpose and usefulness in life and fulfillment in this world. And then I wrote, what am I willing to do to keep and to honor these gifts? And if I relapse, I can still lose all these things again, including my life. And today, there's no place I'd rather be than in Ovaries Anonymous and free from not just this disease, but from 
resentment and self-pity and just that feeling of not having any purpose in life. This program has given me a purpose like beyond my comprehension, you know, in a family of, of people like today, I can sit in a room full of my family and feel like they're strangers in a room full of strangers in the, in this program and feel like you guys are family. So thank you for letting me share and for um, being a part of my journey and allowing me to be a part of yours. Uh, it is now the time for questions only. Uh, there's no sharing at this meeting. If you wish to share, please do so with any one of us after the meeting. Remember the opinions of the leader are her own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. Uh, if you have a question, please send them to Deb in the chat and she will read them out and we'll alternate between the live meeting and uh, the online. So is there anyone at the live meeting who has a question? Yes. yes. Go ahead. Can I go over here? Yeah. Come right here, please. Thank you. Hi. Thanks for your share. How do you deal with slips in yourself or in your sponsees? Can you repeat that? I didn't hear a couple words. How do you... Sorry. Sorry. How do you deal with slips, S-L-I-P-S, in yourself or in your sponsees? Do slips? Slips. Yeah, slips. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I personally don't really believe in slips, like, um, within myself, like, I have my abstinence set, and I don't move beyond that. That being said, I have a plan of eating, which is a goal but it's never going to be perfect, but I wouldn't consider that a slip. But if I did something outside of like my bottom line abstinence, then that would be a breaking abstinence. And I would, you know, probably start my abstinence over, which hasn't happened. Thank God. But, um, I mean, it's kind of the same thing with sponsees. I have a lot of sponsees that really don't get abstinent and, and slip, you know, a lot. Um, and we just, you know, we just keep plugging along and, um, you know, I just share my experience, strength and hope the best that I can, but I do believe in, in, you know, I do believe that, um, you know, I, I can't like eat, you know, I, I don't think we're supposed to mention certain foods, but there's certain things that I have to abstain from no matter what. And I can't claim abstinence if I'm eating those things in an amount too. So it's also a big part of my um, absence of specific amounts of foods too. So my meals have to have a beginning and an end. Um, but like for Thanksgiving, I mean, I eat, you know, I eat in a way that I normally don't eat. You know, it's a lot more like richer or whatever, but that's not a slip to me. It's just you know, an imperfect meal, but it definitely didn't include any of my, my, um, trigger foods or problem foods. And, you know, I had my three meals and that was it. Thanks, Cindy. Can you share your daily spiritual routine, please? Yes. Um, so I'm someone who gets bored a lot, so I kind of mix it up. I don't do like you know, the same thing every day, or I will do the same thing for a period of time, but, you know, there's a lot of things that I do over the course of, like, a month, you know, 
So I definitely have um, readings. That, so I, I read a few um, books, um, like meditation books. Um, in the morning, I either usually, um, I listen to, I have a meditation app on my phone that actually reads me pages 86 to 88 in the big book. So I meditate to that. Um, I also have like this Facebook OA group that I'm on. So I read posts on that. It's kind of like a meditation as well. Um, in the evening, I try and do the evening review questions in the big book. So very imperfectly, <laughs> I have an app on my phone where I do that. I also have a journal that will ask me those questions as well that I fill out too. So I kind of alternate so that I'm not doing just the same thing because then I get bored and stuff. And um, what I've learned in this program that really helps me is that it doesn't matter what I do so much as it's something that I'm consistent at. So whatever I'm consistent at is like the perfect routine for me. And I think I just have to find that balance. Any questions in the room? Yes, one second. Um, you mentioned that in the beginning you had gone in and out of abstinence. So was there a reading or a moment or something that um, got you to commit? You know, really what it was, I think, is just that the desperation um, and also the food stopped working like it once did. You know, I kind of got to a place, I think, being, especially being in the rooms and seeing the recovery that I wasn't able to achieve and hearing the abstinence and seeing what I wanted in other people. Um, it kind of became more painful to be in the rooms and not be absent than it was to just put down the food, you know, and I just became desperate and, you know, my last, my last, um, my last absence break, like my, my last binging, like lasted a day and a half. And obviously, like, I couldn't have done that much physical damage in that time, but I was so traumatized and just tormented mentally and spiritually that I just woke up and it was like, I just can't do this anymore, you know? And when they talk about, like, the acronym God, um, the acronym of like, um, gosh, what was it? I just was thinking, I thought, and now it's gone. But, um, oh, gift of desperation, that's what it was. I mean, it's so true for me. You know, it was truly a gift. And, you know, I was just so tormented by binging my brains out and knowing that there was a solution and tasting there was a solution. And then the food worked less and less. You know, there's a, there's a quote in one of our four todays that talks about food as an anesthetic is has the shortest lifespan of all the addictive substances. And I think that's what happened for me where it's like, you know, it became okay. Like food used to anesthetize me for like, you know, a week and then a day and then an hour. And then like, then it got to like 10 seconds, you know, it's like this, I would shove the food in or I can never again feel that sense of relief as much. It was just like, oh, my God, I'm doing it again. And it was very, very painful. Thanks for the question. Thank you. Um, can you talk about the compulsion, how your compulsion was lifted and how, um, like, the behaviors were lifted? Yeah. Um, I think it, it was just a process of, well, for one thing, 
it's, for me, I have to put down the substances that create that craving in me. Um, so, and also the amounts of food. So I have to put that out too, because I mean, I could be, I can get an effect from eating, you know, like four servings of a food that I would consider abstinent, just the same way that I can get an effect from a, eating like one serving of a food that I don't consider abstinent. So for me, it had to be, you know, my three meals with nothing, you know, nothing in between. I've had a portion of time where I've eaten snacks, but right now I do three meals and nothing in between. And, um, just working the steps really it's just a process like for me i really believe in the promises that we're talking about the tense of promises um where we get to that point and and it's been lifted and it's no longer something that i'm fighting it's just automatic you know like i wake up every day and i'm just automatically abstinent like it would and i know for a fact that if i stop doing what i'm doing I definitely will eventually go back to the food, but it would take a lot of conscious effort right now. Like I'm not, I remember in my past, like it took conscious effort to, to be abstinent every day. So I would wake up and I would have to make a conscious choice to be abstinent. Today I'm automatically abstinent because that's the gift that I've received from working these 12 steps. I would have to make conscious choice to, stop doing these things and then eventually go to the food in order to go back to the food. But I think it's all just the process and the relief came as a result of, of putting down the foods that I needed to put down and the amount that I needed to put down and then just going through the rest of the 12 steps. And then, you know, once I get through the steps, it's guaranteed in the big book, it, it's a guarantee for me that if I keep doing this work, that eventually that freedom will find me. And that has been my experience. Thanks, Cindy. Anybody in the room? Yes. Hi, thank you so much for your wonderful share. Uh, could you talk about uh, what your experience has been with uh, step six and seven and where you stand with character defects today? Sure, thank you. Um, so step six and seven, um, in the big book, I mentioned the big book a lot. In the big book, basically step seven is just a prayer. And I know some people get kind of like confused by that. And I've had sponsees that feel like they're really doing nothing for step six and seven and want to do a lot more work. Um, but for me personally, like I believe that steps six and seven kind of materialize once they get to steps 10 and 11. So for steps six and seven, I'm just willing to have God remove all the defects of character and I'm humbly asking him to do so, but it's not that it's just going to miraculously be taken away. You know, I'm a human being and that's just not how it works. That'd be nice. But um, so I just continue on with the steps and then I get to live every day, you know, turning over those defects. When I go, when I do a 10 step, when I go to my nightly review, when I do my morning meditation, it's like a constant never ending process, you know, defects come up and, and I'm asking God to remove that. And I, um, you know, trying to do the opposite, like, you know, when I get, don't get charged for an item and the character defect is like, woohoo. You know, one time I went into the bank and was to withdraw my money for my rent and 
it gave me three or four hundred dollars more than what was in my account. And I got to my car. My very first thought was, oh, my God, let's get the hell out of here before they realize what they're doing. You know, but then my second thought, which is usually the one that's based off of my higher power, is I can't do that. Like, and I had to go back and, you know, and that, and if I would have taken that money, I would have, you know, written about it or thought about it that night and then had to go back to it the next day and make that amends because that's how it works, you know. And if I'm living in steps 10 and 11 and 12, like it tells us to do the, the growth or the maintenance steps, some people call them, then that's like a, a process that's kind of like the lifelong thing that I'm never going to be done at. Thank you so much. Um, was there one thing that happened when you finally got the message of OA? Um, you know, I don't, I, I don't know that I have an answer to that question. Like, I don't know if there is, the only thing is that I think I just was in enough pain, you know? I think that I was always getting the message in pieces. What? Five minutes. Oh, thank you. Yeah, so, yeah, I just think that by sitting in these rooms, we're hearing the message, you know, like, it might be like a bad connection, like, you know, like, you know, but it's still there. And the more I put down the food and the more options I get, like, the clearer it is. But I think the message was always there. Um, and the only thing I can say as to like why it one day clicked is that I just, I just kept doing it, just kept coming back. Like, you know, when they say keep coming back at work, we work it. You know, that's the honest to goodness truth. Like, it, you know, I've never known anyone leave the rooms and come back just to tell everyone how great it was out there. Like, we come back miserable, right? That's what happens. And, and I stayed in the room miserable, but I was also had a lot of, um, hope, you know, because if I'm in these rooms and my butt's in the chair, there's hope. If I walk out there and don't return, there's no hope. Thank That's you. It. <laughs> Um, I don't know if there's any, if we have four minutes left. There's anybody in the room? No, no questions in the room. Okay. Um, can you talk about sponsorship and sponsees, if you have any? Sure. Um, yeah, I have, um, you know, I feel like sponsorship is kind of like a revolving door and, I was just telling, I was in a big book study that I do on Saturday mornings this, this morning and I was, we were talking about sponsorship because we're reading, working with others. And, you know, I've been absent for eight and a half years now. I, um, had my first sponsee this time around when I had like 30 days and I've sponsored a lot of people and like one I'm still in contact with. And that's really sad. And not very many people get this and not many people are willing to continue down this road, I think. And, you know, my job as a sponsor is to share my experience, strength and hope. And I know that I'm abstinent and that's all I can control is my own recovery. And well, I shouldn't have said that. 
All I could do is surrender my own recovery to my higher power every day and, you know, leave the results up to my higher power. And, um, you know, I share my experience with people and I, I'm willing to take people to the steps. But honestly, you know, a lot of people just leave and don't get very far in this program. And, you know, it's it's very sad, but it takes what it takes. And, you know, I, I was... I was speaking at a meeting one time and like, I think like three different people, um, especially one person came up and she said, you know, out of all the years that I've come, you know, left and come back and left and come back and left and come back, Cindy is the one thing that's always constant. Like every time I come back, she's here. And you know, that was just such a beautiful like testimony to me of this recovery because that's what I want to be. That's the example that I want to share with the world, you know. And um, you know, three, three or four different times in a row, people, um, healthcare professionals, told me I should get the gastric bypass, and I just knew for me that wasn't the answer because the problem was never in my stomach. The problem was in my head, and that's what the twelve steps works. Now that's what the 12 steps do for me is, is um, you know, they fix my head. And I know a lot of people are all about the weight and all. And to me, that's the least exciting thing about this program. Uh, we have about a minute left. Can you just share how to use the tools? Yeah, so the tools, um, yeah, the tools are really actually a really important part of my program too. Like, the steps are the freedom, but the tools help me have like this fellowship and this camaraderie and, you know, and so like the phone, the phone is really important to me to have that connection to people and meetings. I, it's honestly, it's been really hard for me, um, this past year and a half because I'm okay now, but like eight months ago, I hated Zoom. And today I actually found a home group in another state and I'm becoming really close to these amazing women that I would have never had an opportunity to know if it wasn't for Zoom. And, you know, just the fellowship and that the tools really, I think, help us create that fellowship that we crave. And for me, I've always been like someone who felt like an outcast and always different, always abnormal, you know, just like different. And you know, talking to other people and, and sharing with other people, it just makes me feel like I'm not alone and like we're all one. And that's such a beautiful gift of this program. Next time. Thank you, Cindy. Thank you.